This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Okay, and we're recording. The only thing is, is that I can't hear myself, so I need to like pop one side of the headphones <laughs> off. But it's okay. You you look cooler that way. So ah, uh, you look you look like a DJ. Sweet. Hey, this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Build Phase. So what are we talking about today? I thought we could talk about getting started with iOS, maybe tips and tricks for beginners, some common pitfalls to avoid. Maybe you're new to programming. Maybe you're coming from another language. I think a good primer would make for a nice episode. So... Once you actually have Xcode installed, what's the first thing you do? Start one of the project templates. Hack around. I know when I first started here, I did kind of a dev discussion about iPhone development, a crash course, and fired up Xcode, and we're we're dragging buttons into the view and then connecting them to the code, and everybody oohed and awed. That's interesting. I... I don't think that would have worked with Xcode 3. I don't want to veer too back and too far back into like the bad old days or whatever, but but I don't I don't think that same demo would have been as impressive in Xcode 3, do you? No. Like with the dragging stuff around in like X, uh interface builder? No. Completely separate applications. That was always weird. I don't know why we thought that was cool. That that was actually a huge barrier to me when I was starting. Um I did all of my UI in code, all of it, because I did not understand Interface Builder. And debugging that stuff was always a pain in the ass for me. Right. Yeah, it was way worse back then. Like, you would get these completely inexplicable errors in the console that had no mention of Interface Builder. You just had to know that it meant that something wasn't connected right. But even... even even beyond like errors, like if something, if a visual element wasn't doing what I wanted it to do and I was like, I go online and I'm trying to ask a question, getting help when you're kind of like learning in a vacuum, like I was like getting help on user interface stuff that's done in interface builder is almost impossible because people would be like, well, I take a screenshot, I guess, of the objects. <laughs> like, what do you have in your... Or right-click this and tell me what it says. As opposed to just, does this line exist? <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. If it doesn't, maybe put that line in. <laughs> right. <laughs> the internet can be really helpful sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. the other problem is, when you're starting out, you don't know the right terms to search for that was that that was a big barrier for me but stack overflow search is pretty good like pretty much now if you search anything programming related you're guaranteed to get at least two or three stack overflow results on the front page i learned a lot from stack overflow just by writing out questions and then by the time i wrote the question out i knew the answer so i just i never posted the questions like i just have i don't know hundreds of times where i'm just like hi this thing isn't working. And so trying to, it's the rubber ducking thing, right? It's like trying to figure out how to explain it to someone that has no concept of the rest of the, the rest of the system. Mm -hmm. 
You should still post it. You think so? Yeah. That's part of being a good netizen. You're supposed to post these things for <laughs> posterity. What about your children's children when they're trying to <laughs> develop for iOS 20? And they're like, ah, interface builder. <laughs> you could help them. Oh, okay. <laughs> So if you're so okay, so you're you're building an application basically in storyboards at this point, right? Right. Because Coco and Coco Touch are just enormous, enormous, enormous frameworks. How do you get into trying to f- trying to learn something of that size? You need the motivation to do it. I don't think anybody just opens up Xcode and starts pulling out labels and buttons. Most people do it because they have something that they want to build. So for me, that was a dog training application. I was going out with a girl at the time who was a professional dog trainer using the clicker method. And I decided that this would make for a great app. It's very simple. It's just a clicker that makes a sound. And it's a list of lessons. So that's how I got started. You know, drag a button out, figure out how to make this thing play some sound, and then go straight to the internet. So I think I think we had moderately similar different applications but moderately similar similar like approaches to it. Like when I was learning, I did a lot of online tutorials, like tons and tons like just ta- constantly googling and looking for tutorials. What I what I always ended up doing was like I had so I knew what app I wanted to build. And so I knew I needed the app to do this specific thing i knew that i needed to have a table view for example so i looked up how to build it and that's like a template and whatever but like i actually wanted to understand what was going on so i like looked up tutorials on building just kind of like a list view with items and then i would figure out like the next part of the application that i wanted to build and find a tutorial that was similar and then kind of like start a brand new application and work through that tutorial until I got to the bit of knowledge that I was actually looking for. And then I take that out and dump it in the app that I was actually building. That's a really good approach. I actually still do something like that. Like if I have an idea of something that I want to implement, but I haven't completely wrapped my head around it yet, I will just open up a new project and hack on it. Oh yeah. And then, it's eventually going to form itself into something nice looking and then I can just re-implement it. It's usually easier to just re-implement it now that I have full knowledge of how this thing is supposed to work. So what kind of places would you go for this kind of stuff? There's like Stack Overflow we talked about. The Apple documentation, they had some tutorials in the Dev Center in 2008, 2009 that I don't think are there anymore. I worked through those and... It was a lot of the same, looking up tutorials, looking up Stack Overflow, asking questions on Stack Overflow. Uh, and then I found headfirst iPhone development. I don't know if you've used the, the headfirst books. No, I haven't. So they're different from the conventional books because they're more like a workbook. There's puzzles. There's things to, that force you to interact with the content. And that apparently mm-hmm. helps you retain information. And I think once I worked through that book and created that application, that's when things finally started to click for me. I was finally at a point where I could work through problems on my own or get to a further point before I give up and go to the internet looking for an answer. 
I've never been able to do books. Me neither. Me neither. But but this <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the worst at. But this book's a little different. Books. Is a little different. You know, there's like crossword puzzles, or you know, you're like matching terms to definitions. One of the things I think can get people in trouble is that Apple's own documentation or Apple's own example code on this stuff, or even tutorials, right? Tutorials may show you how to do something, but they may not show you how to do it the best way. You know, the sample code may show you how to, like Apple's own sample code could show you how to implement a specific feature, but they may do it by dumping everything into the app delegate and the view controller. And if you're actually building a production level application, that's probably not the best way to, you probably want to break stuff out a little bit more. That kind of stuff is tough though, because how do you start teaching someone a complex concept? You can't just give them a a complex example. You have to give them a trivial example, but then once they've moved past that and they're ready to scale it, then there's just no help in how should I really be doing this the correct way when it, the level of complexity increases. Well, but yeah, I mean, the code is right. Like Apple's sample code is all fine, right? Like it all does what it's supposed to it do. It works. <laughs> right. But in most cases, that's not how I would write it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I, think, I think it's fine, right? Like you and I learned off of it. Yeah, it it just takes time. And I do think it's getting easier and easier for people to get into iPhone development because just in the past couple of years, we've started developing some best practices. I mean, when the platform launched, we had second wave objective Cists. So, I mean, there were people writing Cocoa for years and years, but the iOS platform itself didn't really have those, you know, champions yet, like people to look to to see how to do things right. Do you think we have those people now? Yeah. More and more all the time. And they're, I think they're more visible because of the emphasis on open source code that we've embraced. So it's not just bits of code on the internet. There's people behind them and there's Twitter and we can follow these people and see what they think. And Do you have any specific examples of what to look into on Apple? Like in, in Apple's documentation? I'd say if you're coming from another language... Read the introduction to Objective-C. Maybe read it twice. Uh, if, you're, if you're new to programming, I might not recommend jumping into Objective-C as your first language. That was my... I mean, it was basically my first language, right? Like, I screwed around with some other stuff. But, but you had done some scripting in, like, Ruby and Python. Yeah. So you at yeah. least had the yeah. the fundamentals. Right. Loops and... Yeah, right. The most basic... It's a tough first language. <laughs> So there's that one, there's the HIG, right? The Human Interface Guidelines. That one can come later. Uh, I think so. I think it's good to start thinking about apps the way that Apple wants you to think about apps. True, but it's not necessary to, your, to getting something working in the app. It, that's more like, okay, I know how to wire things up. I can move between view controllers. I can pass some data around. But when it comes to you know, interface design... Yeah, you should be following the HIG, but it's not essential right away. Did they update any of the code level stuff for iOS 7? I don't know. I read the updated human interface guidelines and the iOS 7 transition guide. And, of course, there is some new sample code. 
I think over time they'll eventually be upgrading the older sample code to iOS 7 as well. Well, I have a question. When you when you got started, I mean, code aside, like just wrapping your head around Xcode, what were some of the difficulties you bumped up against? I don't think I actually, I think Xcode does a pretty good job of just being able to download a thing and install that thing and then just run it and it all pretty much works. Like in terms of just like if I'm just building for the simulator, I don't think there's a huge amount of overhead there. I actually always ran into more overhead trying to get like Ruby stuff when I was trying to learn Ruby. Like even after learning Objective-C, trying to get Ruby stuff up and going. There's just so many like kind of little moving parts and stuff like that. I always had a harder time with it. Yeah, definitely. I've experienced that too. Xcode in general, I mean, you don't even if you're willing to live inside Xcode, you don't even need to worry about setting up Git or using the terminal or anything. You can just kind of do it all through Xcode. I wouldn't recommend doing it all through Xcode, but you totally can. Like people do that every day. Did you find heart like do you have trouble with the with the tool set when you were learning? No, I mean I cut my teeth on Xcode 3 and it worked. It worked well. Transitioning to Xcode 4 was difficult. See, I was excited, man. When we moved to Xcode 4, I was excited at what it could be, but when it first came out, I couldn't find anything. I didn't know where... You know, the change between build configurations and then hiding those inside schemes and inside settings for the schemes blew my freaking mind. Like, I had no idea what the hell was going on. Because in Xcode 3, that was just... You had a target and a scheme and a destination too, right? So you had all three. And it was just like, here's a target, here's, a, here's the build configuration, here's the, the build destination, go, run. And I had like all these things set up around that kind of style, and then they got rid of those and build and then moved to schemes, and it took me, I don't know, a year to really understand what the hell was going on yeah, there. Yeah, d- definitely. I mean, they had moved all your tools around. Apple moved your cheese, so to say. <laughs> right. Is that a saying? Yes, that is a thing that people say. Okay. Just trust me. I think Xcode is pretty good about being low overhead. Right, but then as Am I soon wrong? yeah, no, no no no, you're not wrong. But then as soon as you have to work with someone else or you start having lots of dependencies or doing anything more complex than just a simple template application, that's when things start to get hairy. And so when I started here, at ThoughtBot, I noticed that on my first project, I was spending a lot of time just setting up build settings and, you know, a Git configuration, all these things that I knew that I was, that I would always want. So I started working on this gem, uh, and then you took it and ran with it. And that is called Liftoff. Shameless plug. Shameless. You want to talk a little (laughs) bit more about Liftoff? Uh, sure. So, uh, doesn't do a whole lot, but I think what it does do, it does pretty well. So the the idea behind Liftoff is just a general configuration tool, right? So like I created a project, and it's been set up with Apple's defaults, but Apple's defaults aren't necessarily the best defaults. Stuff like warning levels, like I think we both kind of agree that you should take advantage of that kind of stuff, like the compiler level stuff, like warning levels and and uh, all that stuff is there for to help you 
So enabling as much of that stuff as possible is really great. So it does a bunch of stuff like uh, like setting up Git settings, Git attributes, the Git attributes that you had figured out a while back, and uh, a Git ignore that we're kind of happy with. Setting setting up all the warnings to the warnings that uh, Peter Hosey had outlined on his blog a while back. Indentation level sets the indentation level at a project at the project level, which is huge because like my client. They use two spaces for indentation, but on my personal stuff, I use four. So I have it set up as four set it four spaces at the Xcode level, like at my preferences level. It's set at four, and every time I opened up a client project, I'd have to set it back to two until I realized that you could do that. So then we built that in so that you never have to touch your personal indentation settings. You can just use uh use it at the project level i think there's a script in there that looks for to do or um what is it to do comments or fix me to do to do but either one yeah to do or fix me yeah and it generates warnings based on yeah that. those are cool yeah i never used those until we found that script and i don't even remember i feel bad i don't remember who we stole it from um but i never used that i, I never did like to do comments until we started building that into all the projects and now just kind of like if I need to bail on something and go work on something else, I always throw down like a to do comment. Yeah. I use those, but I don't keep them around for too long. It's usually I'm in the flow of writing code. I know I need to do this thing later. So I'll do a to do. And then usually at about the time of opening a pull request or before I do it, before I merge, I'll capture that and, you know, put it in our project management it also liftoff also sets uh, warnings as errors on release builds. So if you do have a bunch of those to do comments in there, they won't ever get pushed to the app store because you can't release it. It'll it'll it won't even build. Right. <laughs> Just kind of nice. That's a nice feature, but sometimes I forget and then I go to do like a release build and it fails on CI and I have to go figure out why. <laughs> Let's back up and talk about that Git attributes thing a little bit. So the bane of, of all iOS developers or Cocoa developers' existence is merging the PBX project file. and the Right, and storyboards and nibs too, but those are getting better. Yeah, those aren't so bad. But the, the project file, at least in its current form, isn't very readable. You can kind of figure out what's going on, there's, but there's just a lot of noise. And it's not exactly clear how or what each line actually corresponds to in your actual project settings. And so on my very first project, we were having a lot of problems when merging code between me and the designer and having to merge these huge conflicts in this file. It was just taking tons of time. And I discovered that in most cases, what we wanted was to take both sides of the conflict usually applying the upstream changes first and then our local changes after it. Like 99% of the time, that's what we want, is a, is a merge between left and right, applying both. And I learned about this .git attributes file, which lives in your directory and instructs Git on how to handle individual files. 
And so in this Git attributes that we include with liftoff, what we're telling Git is that it should be treating this pbxproj file as a binary file and to just take both sides of any conflict, apply them upstream first, local second, and most of the time that works for us. I've never really had uh, any issues with it. Yeah, I, I think it works. I think it works really, really well 98% of the time. I, have, I haven't actually had problems with it in a while. When I started at my, uh, my current client, we had a bunch of problems just constantly with, even after using that. So I, 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 I put that git attributes in because I was doing the same thing. I was just spending too much time merging project files. It's just, you know, just taking forever. It was like an everyday thing, just having to deal with merge conflicts. And that's way too often. And after I, imp- after I added the git attributes, I was having problems with it not doing the merge union essentially is what it seemed like it seemed like it was taking their the remote changes and not applying the local changes mm. so i'd hit build and it would just freak out because files just were not in the index at all and that's not i mean to be honest like of all the problems to have that's not a huge problem to solve you just reset back to the master version or whatever the upstream version is of the project file and then and then just re-add the files that you added it takes like it takes at least it doesn't take any longer than it would to take to fix the project file but you have to do it less often like it became like a once a month once every three months thing versus a every day yeah which is still a huge win if you could travel back in time three or four years or whatever and meet past gordon I assume with a full head of hair. That's how I picture you anyway. You have to go back a little ways. <laughs> what? We're talking, yeah. <laughs> what advice w- would you have for yourself as a new iOS developer? Use more objects. Almost definitely. Uh, I, I think that when I, I think that when I was starting, I saw objects and classes as being ways to reuse code like exclusively ways to reuse code and so if something i think that a lot of people actually do this even high level developers have a tendency to do this like so so the problem that comes from that is that if i'm in my detail view controller for example and i need to share a thing well the only place that I actually care about sharing is in the detail view controller. So why would I create an object? If the only place it's going to care about it is a detail view controller, why would I create an object to take care of the sharing stuff? That doesn't make sense to me because the classes were for code reuse. And that is like code reuse is definitely a benefit to having objects, you know, small reusable objects, but it's more of an architecture thing. And I didn't, I didn't get that for a really, really long time. I just didn't understand that. And I actually, th- like I said, I-, I think that that's actually a problem in iOS in general. Pe- you know, I think that's why view controllers get big because they people say, and, and again, Apple's uh, example code tends to shove a lot of stuff in view controllers. And and like you said, that's not. It's because it's a learning tool, right? That's not production code. But but I think a lot of people get into that habit of 
well, this place is the only place that I care about this, so this is where it should go. Mm-hmm. I had a similar experience. And I, I think it might be because of the nature of the iPhone and the apps and that they feel like this physical thing that you interact with so that when you're thinking about how to build something like that, you're thinking about it from the screen of content down exactly. and not exactly. building a foundation up to surface these things into the UI. And once, once you can flip your thinking in that way, I think that's when you've kind of moved into like the intermediate level of programming. You know, you start to think of the view controller as like your highest level in the class hierarchy. Like everything lives here. And if the code's here, it already has a place to live. There's nowhere else it needs to go. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that led me to like, like I'm like I'm doing a new version of the app that I started out with and I'm just throwing it away because it's just so far gone. There's just, you know, like every view controller is like a thousand lines. It's just like, there is no separating it at this point without breaking the entire thing. So um, It's not even possible to get some tests around it and try to refactor what you have? I wouldn't even know where to start with the testing on this thing, honestly. It's just such a mess. That's kind of a bummer, you know, because there's going to be like years worth of code that I wrote that's just going to be gone. And it got me somewhere, right? It got me here. Like, it was a learning experience, so, like, I don't regret writing that crap. But my th- the reason I'm throwing it away, honestly, is because I could probably – and I have been refactoring. I've been refactoring, and I've been, you know, trying to add tests and doing all this stuff, but it would take me as much time to do that. It would take me more time to put all that in place just to get me to a – point where i can iterate on it and actually develop without like hating existence the entire time i'm trying to work on it um it would take me longer to get there than it would for me to build it back up from scratch the right way so it's best to just separate your knowledge of that you gain from writing the code from the code itself throw the actual code away and reapply yeah that makes sense to me and even the new version, it won't be perfect, but it'll be... No, 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 and it'll, it'll have stuff to fix, and, you know, a year, two years from now, I'll be throwing this version away, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, writing in Go or something, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, maybe some Rust. <laughs> right. That's interesting that you brought up making more objects, because the very next note that was causing me to segue into this just says, create all the objects. <laughs> 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 so what about what about you other than other than creating more and more and more objects until you think you have too many and then maybe a couple more what it, what's what's something that you know now that you wish you had known when you were starting i really hate to just repeat what you said but it's the same exact problem of not creating enough model objects and more specifically actual controllers that don't manage a view that just kind of facilitate moving things around Um, and to expand on that uh, developing to an interface and not an implementation like I wish I could go back and slap myself and say hey just write the header files first and figure out how things are going to move around and then go back to the implementation and make the interfaces work (laughs) 
but if but again like if you don't have enough objects then your header and interf- your header files your interfaces are essentially non-existent right like if i've dumped everything into my view controller <laughs> there is no public interface because all of my ob- like it's one big object that's just calling methods on itself so you you know you know what i'm saying i'm i'm just saying i'm agreeing with you i'm just saying that i think those two problems are the same problem because if you have more if you have more the more objects you have the less likely you are to program to an inter, uh to a implementation then maybe the problem is actually defining the scope of the problem it's not i want to display all this stuff on the screen it's it's a bunch of really small problems that end up becoming your methods and you have to really look at those and say yeah, this fits here, but what am I really trying to do? Like sum up a method in two or three sentences and go through it and look at the nouns that you use to describe the problem. Those are, those are going to be your objects. And the verbs you use to describe how those nouns interact, you know, those are your method names, basically. That's at least how I've started thinking about interface design and just architecture in general. I think the word, it's... it's for me, it's like when the word "and" pops up when I'm describing an object. If it if it does thing A, and also it does thing B, it's probably yeah two different yeah, things that, you're talking. No, about. that's a really great example. Yeah, just try to break everything down to its smallest possible unit of work to get something done, and then compose those things back together into a feature stealing a quote here, I'm probably butchering it, but a complex graph of simple objects is far superior to a simple graph of complex objects. I'm going to screw up the last name, but Ray Wenderlich? Is that his I, name? You probably I don't know. know. I was actually thinking about that never... before we started recording. I was going to try to figure yeah. out how to pronounce Let's that see. properly. If, yeah. if it's wrong, we're sorry, Ray. Yeah. Um, but, man, there's like a bunch of stuff there. Um, yeah, he has multiple contributors CF2 now. Tr- and yeah, and editors. And, it's a big deal. And, uh, yeah, it is. Um, but it's a hell of a resource, you know. Um, I, but I think that one of, the, one of the things you have to be aware of there with those tutorials, and it's not like a fault of Ray's, it's kind of just the way the way it goes with this kind of stuff is that some of them can be um, out of date if not in like the code will probably build, but maybe some of the techniques are out of date, like, you know, manually synthesizing properties or, you know, forward declaring method names, like kind of the stuff that came with objectives, modern quote unquote, modern objective C, right. Uh, Like object literals and basically everything that came after we moved to, uh, Clang and moved away from GCC. Yes, I was going to say GCD. That's not GCD. That's not right. I think actually, I think that the two there's two newsletters that are I think are huge. I think I I like them even for even if you're not just beginning, right? But uh, uh, Dave Verner's Dave Verner Verner. Dave's last name? Um, v- Werner? Werner? No, no, it's, it's, it's V E R W E R. It is Werner. 
No, well, it's a W. So v- I think it's I think it's verb. Verber, ver- but it could be verver. Shit. <laughs> I'm gonna look at the rural juror. Um. <laughs> what? Sorry, I'm quoting Thirty Rock. Just ignore me. Uh. <laughs> I was gonna mention NS Hipster, which is basically a, a weekly newsletter about some of the more obscure. Classes in foundation and UI kit and app kit and the like. Yeah, some of that I think um, might be a little higher level, right? Like I wouldn't want, if you're just starting out, like I wouldn't want to, there's some stuff in there that can bog you down, right? Like learning the weird complex class or the more obscure, like some, some of those classes are obscure for a reason. And again, like I said before, like it's, it's a pretty massive framework to begin with. So I do think there's value in reading and immersing yourself in more advanced topics. Don't break your brain trying to understand it, but at least read it a couple times and let it sink in. And then down the, down the line somewhere, you're going to learn something else, and these two things are going to link up, and it's going to click. I totally agree. I just wouldn't want people to feel like they should be getting everything in ns hipster every week fair enough so then there's also um ios dev weekly love that which is huge read it every friday me too kind of less of a less of a learning tool more of kind of i mean it is just like a straight up newsletter but they have you know it constantly has like here's articles from on ios development and new tools that came out you know, new open source code, uh, which is huge. Um, most of it, like, I, I find that a lot of it I end up knowing already just from people on Twitter, which I also think is important. Like, having a really, you know, it, it, Twitter is a hell of a <laughs> educational tool, honestly. Like, if you follow the right people that are tweeting the right things, talking about the right things, like, you can learn a lot just by what, may seem to most people like goofing off. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, if, if it weren't for all the iOS developers that I was following, I might not be where I am today. I'd say 90% of the people I follow are in this industry, which could be a bad thing. Maybe I should be diversifying a bit. But that's, that's, that's kind of what I like about um, iOS Dev Weekly, too, is that it's, it, it may be a lot of the same stuff that I knew about already, but it's curated, right? It's... Like, I knew about that, but I also, for every one thing that's in uh, iOS Dev Weekly that I heard of, there's probably one that I didn't. And also, there's 10 things that I heard about during the week that maybe I didn't actually need to hear about during the week, you know? Because um, Twitter can be noisy, but there's a bunch of good stuff there, too. So, iOS Dev Weekly, and then that there's that new Obj-C? I think you can just say Objective-C. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Objective-C-O. That's how I'm going to say it. Okay. I can get on board um, with that. Tell me more <laughs> about Objectio. So uh, it's objc.io, and it's uh, once a month. Um, so it may not come out on the same day, but it's they only publish once every month. Um, and it's just kind of a it's a newsletter-ish. Or they call it a periodical, actually, which is probably more accurate. And they kind of pick one topic. 
So, like, the first one was lighter view controllers. It's just kind of all about, like, kind of some of the same stuff we've been talking about. B- pulling stuff out of your view controllers. Uh, how to test them. View controller containment. That kind of stuff. And then the second one was all about concurrent programming. And it was kind of mind-blowing, honestly. Um, a lot of higher-level concepts there. But really did a, an amazing deep dive into concurrent programming on ios and all the different ways you can do it and yeah i learned a lot from that one i i have a pretty good working knowledge at the higher level stuff like ns operation and uh gcd but threading like ns thread and run loops that's pretty foggy and there's a lot of great information in there i i like that that newsletter is more pattern and architecture focused and kind of best practices because there's already just so much material out there on the simpler techniques. It's nice seeing something that's targeted towards a little more advanced audience. Have you ever done any of the Stanford classes on iTunes? Oh, yes. Yeah, the the first course, I worked through those when those came out. And back then, it was uh, two engineers that had worked on the original iPhone OS uh, Evan Dahl was one who's now at Flipboard. Those were extremely helpful, really great resources. <clears throat> Lots of insight that you wouldn't normally get from anyone else because they were from inside Apple. And then in the last couple of years, there's a new instructor, Paul Hegarty, who's super old school from the next days. And he's just a really great instructor all around. And I've actually been watching those every year despite considering myself a professional developer, I still go back and watch. Right. I was just, I was just thinking that I should go watch some of those, like as you're talking about it. I also just, he slips in, um, you know, good patterns here and there too, but somehow keeps it simple and easy to understand. He's just a good teacher. Highly recommended. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. Um, We actually have, most of the stuff we've talked about today and then a bunch of other really great resources for learning iOS collected in our trail maps, which can be located at learn.thoughtbot.com slash iOS. If you have any comments or questions, you can email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or you can mention us on Twitter or app.net at thoughtbot. You can also find the show notes for this episode at thoughtbot.com slash buildphase slash three.